Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Jennifer McKenzie is my guest on this week's episode. In February 2017, she was diagnosed with stage 2 invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 35. She talks about finding her lump, countless diagnostic tests, and her course of treatment. Jennifer also shares her concern that parents of young adult cancer survivors are not provided with adequate support. She also talked about coming to terms that life would never be back to normal and how giving back to others has helped her in her own healing. Take a listen in as Jennifer shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Jennifer McKenzie. She was diagnosed with stage two ductal carcinoma in February of 2017 at the age of 35. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. It's nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your story um, and how that all started for you. Um, On January 1st in 2017, I woke up um, in the morning and I was laying in bed and I reached for my cell phone. And I brushed the side of my left breast and I felt a lump and it, it kind of felt weird. But at the same time, you just think that it's nothing. Um, it was the holidays, So I waited for my um, general practitioner's doctor to return from vacation. And she took me in right away. I think it was January 4th. Okay. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So- I was very lucky. Yeah. Well, what, um, what did that lump feel like? To, you know, was it like a marble was it round you know did it hurt it was like a marble it hurt um it moved like everything that would say it's kind of breast cancer I was the opposite okay yeah and I've honestly going through um and talking to so many different people I'm finding that out you know I had always had this kind of idea of you know if it's this and it's this and this this then that means it's breast cancer and if it's this 
and this and this and this, then it's not, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm learning, um, thankfully through the prod- podcast that, you know, not everything is so definitive, um, in terms of what it's going to show up like. Um, so, but they, I mean, they got you in within, um, you know, within a really short period of time, realistically. Um, so when you called, was there any kind of hesitation? I mean, you were only 35. So I know that sometimes women have trouble getting in to see their doctor. Uh, my doctor, took, I didn't have any trouble getting into the doctor. I did have, my doctor did not believe it was anything to worry about. Okay. Um, but I was really concerned about it. There was something just telling me, have it checked further. Um, so she took my worry into consideration, which I'm thankful for. She's been my family doctor for many years and she referred me for an ultrasound to just kind of let me know it's a cyst. Everything to her felt like it was just a cyst. Okay. Yeah. So my gut is, you know, her, her initial instincts were probably, you know, just kind of send you on your way and then maybe have you come back, um, you know, at a maybe shorter period of time then your annual exam and go from there. Um, but I'm glad that she took your concern into consideration. Yeah. I just had a really weird feeling about it. I don't, I have no history of breast cancer in my family. Um, we're a lot of women. I just, I really just didn't feel easy about it. And normally if my doctor said not to worry, I would 100% leave that office, but just something told me I needed to ease my mind on. Good for the testing. Yeah. Good for you. So how quickly after were you able to get that ultrasound? Um, so because I was over 30 in Quebec, I had to go for a mammogram first by law. I had an appointment for a mammogram within two weeks. Okay. Uh, after the mammogram, they found two more lumps in my left breast. And then I went for the ultrasound a week later once they confirmed that, um, they wanted to review it more, and they did a biopsy on the table right away. They knew that it was cancer, but they couldn't legally tell me. Right. So did um, they do the biopsy the same day as the ultrasound? Yes, yeah. right away. Okay. Yeah. 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 They I mean, were it's always very different for everybody. Um, you know, some people have to, some people can get it that same day and then some people have to wait, you know, a week, um, two weeks in between to, to get that. So I'm glad that they were able to get you in right away. And the two lumps that they found on the mammogram, the additional two areas, those were both considered suspicious. Uh, yeah. So there was three lumps in total and they were all suspicious. They biopsied all of them and all of them came back. All of them came back positive. Oh my gosh. I just, biopsy is the one thing that um, makes me cringe the most <laughs> just because it was the most painful for me. So I can't imagine having three lumps and having to have all of them biopsied. I 100% agree with you. And then I transferred hospitals and the other hospital because I'm in a smaller town. So I don't know if that's why right away with my agent stuff, they really put like they really didn't stop at finding the answer for me but then I went to the Montreal Jewish which is um one of the world-renowned breast cancer hospitals they specialize in it um so they the other hospital was lost my biopsies in the transport so I had to do it again oh my gosh yeah oh my god yeah (laughs) so I would have to agree biopsy was the worst for me because I 
I, for me, I think when they when they were going to biopsy me, my doctor never prepared me for that. She's like, you're going to go for an, the mammogram, the ultrasound, and they're going to tell you it's a cyst, or they're going to call me and everything will be fine. So the minute they were having me sign papers and, and cutting me open and biopsying, I knew right away that it was, I could tell by their faces too, but I knew right away that um, it was cancer. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that I feel like many times if somebody hasn't had a biopsy, they have no idea the level of pain that's associated with it. Um, because the nurse at my gynecologist's office told me, you know, that the biopsy was fine, that it wouldn't be painful at all. And it was a horrific experience. <laughs> so same. And I think emotionally with it too, knowing was yes. like that was my my first breaking point. Like taking a shower was hard for a couple of days. I just I feel like I lived on a cloud. I think for me at the biopsy was my confirmation that this was happening. And I had two weeks to settle it in with myself before I had to tell everybody else. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I appreciate the fact that they think that they have poker faces, <laughs> um, mm. you know, that their their body language is not telling a different story from what's coming out of their mouth. Um, but, you know, I think many times when we're laying there and we're watching what's happening, you know, we're observing and we're taking it all in. And I would say more often than not, you know, we know that it's breast cancer, even though they can't tell us. Yeah, and I actually had a weird experience. Um, you have to go for the mammogram again after they do that to you, which is fun to make sure that the beads are in the proper location. Oh, yes. And the mammogram woman started crying and hugging me and telling me my life was about to change. And she knew she wasn't allowed to tell me, but she couldn't help herself because I was so young. Oh, my and gosh. She knew that. Yeah, she knew that I knew. And everyone's like, oh, I can't believe I said, no, that was the best, not the best thing that happened to me, but it just allowed me to really, like I said, have the opportunity to accept it for myself before I had to go tell my parents. Because I think that was the hardest thing for me. I don't have any children, but throughout life, what you hear is the worst thing is having a sick child and the cancer word. And I think for me, out of the whole journey, that was the worst part having to go to my parents' house and let them know that it wasn't good news. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I'm kind of a very similar situation. I don't have kids um, as well. But, you know, I think telling my parents was probably the hardest. Um, you know, I'm their only daughter. And so, yeah, I would agree with that. And I hadn't, I haven't thought about that for a while. Um, you know, so I, I, totally agree with that. Um, how did they, how did they take it? What was their response? Uh, shocking just because of age and everything. And, and we were, you were led to believe and I led them to believe the same information that I had that it's just going to be okay. Um, no signs pointed to it being breast cancer, no family history. I'm too young. So for them, it was it was shocking, but very supportive. And I, I find it, I used to find it hard for my mom. I used to try and look for a group for her because I'd say, you're, you're supporting me. I'm going through so much and there's nothing for you. Like you're watching me go through this. And so I do a lot of volunteering and we try to bring um, parents in because as a young adult, when you go to different 
meetings or groups, they don't allow your parents to participate as your supporter. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, sometimes, well, many times, realistically, the caregivers are the people who are left out. And I feel like, you know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of when it's a young adult, um, you know, it's usually the parents, you know, sometimes those young adults aren't married. So it is a parent or even a sibling that might be their primary caretaker. And, you know, it's, they're not always taken into consideration. So I love that you're, you know, getting out there and volunteering and, you know, trying to find ways to bring parents into this when they are supporting their kids with cancer. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I I think it's a good thing that it's not a huge market when you research it, you know, because we're not, um, the biggest area of cancer, but I think it's, it's lacking a lot in support for parents because I, I really feel like my mom could have used it. My dad had a little bit of support. He had a friend who had lost a son to um, brain cancer. Wow. So he kind of, he really um, stepped up and became, he was with my dad almost every day. So I feel like my dad had a little bit of an, someone who understood him, but I, my mom, I feel was really left out. And I think that mother daughter relationship and trying to help me figure out, I had a double mastectomy. I was able to have reconstruction right away, but I wasn't sure how I was feeling. And it's different conversations that they're trying to help you out with, but it's hard because they didn't go through it. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. So, and um, you actually kind of segue into what I wanted to ask next, which is what you opted for in terms of um, surgery. So was the double mastectomy, did they, was that their recommendation or did you really kind of push to have a, a you know, double mastectomy versus like a unilateral? Um, upon my second, um, the, ma- the the second mammogram I had to go for at the other hospital, they found a lump on my right side. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so they biopsied that as well, but it was not cancer. It was oh, just girl. a cyst. But- <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. You've had way too many biopsies. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Oh. Um, so going through that, um, my oncologist did not recommend a double mastectomy. Um, my plastic surgeon was willing to do it if I, if that's what I wanted. Um, so after a lot of thinking and just not wanting to have to ever biopsy again, I think was probably top of the list. (laughs) I do not blame you. So I was, I had the choice and I chose to um, do both. I sometimes wonder if I made the right decision. I know mentally I did, I believe. Um, But some like, I, I, I struggle with that one a little bit. I don't know if I just emotionally made that decision based under circumstances or if it was the right thing to do. Right. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's really hard. Um, The reality is, is that we're thrown into this crisis, um, you know, that most often we don't even see coming, you know, it just comes straight out of left field and, you know, just takes our breath away. And, you know, our life seems to be just kind of spiraling around us and everything happens so fast that we can really only make the decisions that we can in the moment that we have to make them. Um, Because we're, 
you know, the reality is, is we're not given a lot of time to make decisions. Um, you know, and I always feel like it's so much easier to sit on this side where we are now and look back on that, um, you know, and, and question ourselves, um, you know, and, and ask if we did the right thing, but, you know, you did the best that you could with the information that you had, um, you know, at the time. Yeah, I do believe that. I I do. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? I think sometimes, I think sometimes you just have like a little loss. Like, should I have parted ways with the one that wasn't sick or (laughs) should I? Sure. No. Yeah. (laughs) Do I really have to get rid of that one too? Yeah. But no, I, I do feel, I had a great team. I didn't feel comfortable with my first doctor's, um, why I was able to transfer to a different hospital. And once I met with that doctor, I had full confidence in them. I really was very lucky to be able to trust them with everything they said. I never Googled anything to find out what was coming. I waited for my doctors to tell me because I I never wanted to be a, so afraid of the next procedure that I was forgetting to focus on what was going on right now. So... I found that very helpful for me, but my doctors recommended it and I trusted them. So I was able to really just go appointment by appointment, make decisions, listen to their expertise and put my full trust in them. And I think that that is a big thing. I think if you are not, I think women need to understand that if you feel that there's something you need to express it and, and find a doctor who will listen to you because unfortunately we are still treated that it's not normal to have cancer at our age so it shouldn't be that and the faster we're able to find it the faster better our chances are and I think having faith in your medical team is a big part of um, the process and recovery and I think it's important for women to know that we need to trust our guts a little bit more 100 percent absolutely absolutely sometimes we just have to move from our brain um, which is that logical part to our heart and our gut and mm-hmm. just, you know, be okay with, you know, if, if something is not serving us, um, then we just need to figure out something else, um, move on, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, so in terms of the reconstruction, I know that you said you were able to do the reconstruction immediately. So was that an automatic like placement of implants was that um, putting in expanders to then, um, you know, later do, you know, finish that process or did you use your own tissue? What, what did you opt for there? Um, I was very chesty. I was a triple D. So I was able to use my own tissue. Um, They downsized me to an A, which was kind of shocking. (laughs) I would imagine. Um, Yes. Um, but I thought it's so funny because I was, I was, oh, I'll have fake boobs, no more bras, these big, and unfortunately a double mastectomy is not like a boob job. <laughs> no, which many people who think <laughs> or who yeah. have not been in, yeah, in this, uh, have not stood in our shoes, they always think it's a boob job, <laughs> not even Yeah, close. and when they offered the um, liposuction to, to put it in, I didn't have to do it. I had enough, um that but I was like tummy tuck too wow this sounds so (laughs) fabulous but it it is not I know it isn't but in the moment it's funny how you can put your mind into a different um 
like a, a little bit of a positive, I think, got me through that a little bit during plastic surgery. I never thought, but uh, I could see how women might want to do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they. I know that they do kind of market it um, in a way that does sound pretty appealing, um, you know, in terms of the liposuction and, you know, well, we can take, you know, fat from your belly and, you know, from your butt yeah. and, you know, you're like, oh, okay. You know how long I've been trying to get that fat out of there? Exactly. Come and take it? <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what was, um, how long was the recovery from that process? Um, it was a, about a month. Okay. I did have a second surgery to correct it. So they did the best that they could on the first surgery. And a, a year and a half later, I, I had a follow-up surgery, which they then put a bit larger implants in. And um, they took my muscles to kind of help support it. That surgery was a lot longer recovery. Okay. The, but the, my first double mastectomy, I think it was about two weeks until, you know, I, honestly, once they took the drains out, I think I went into full recovery mode because that was another part I wasn't expecting to how painful the drains are and how every day you're you're taking care of these drains and you're kind of reminded of it so yeah they're pretty gross yeah (laughs) after they took my drains out which I'm glad I never googled that before it happened either um recovery kind of became easier it was easier to shower oh yes to, to get up every day and move around so I think physically it was about two weeks um and once I was able to start mentally recovering, it, it kind of felt like it went pretty, pretty fast. Right. Okay. And then did you have to do any kind of chemotherapy or radiation to follow? Yes, I had to do six rounds of chemo. Okay. In the summer. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, chemo at any time is not fun. <laughs> um. No, but, you know, I wasn't... Uh, Loss of hair gave me a little more air conditioning. There you go. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's all perspective. (laughs) I, I, it's not, I don't consider myself lucky for having to go through it, but it did change my whole way of looking at life. The people I surround myself with, um, you know, when you're thrown into a tragedy at our age, you really understand the people around you and the people you think would be there for you kind of disappear and the people you never thought cared kind of show up. And it taught me a lot of life lessons. I've learned to laugh a little bit more, um, to really listen to people. I try and help other women going through it because I feel like I was able to go through it with a lot of positivity around me and laughter because my family is kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like to make people laugh. I also like to protect people. So it was easier to, you know, do go step by step and take it as it came and then try and make something a little bit funny or more positive. And it was able to lift, help everyone around me. So, yeah, I, um, we're very similar. I mean, I've, I've 
not met you in person, and this is our mm-hmm. first conversation, but just listening to you, um, you know, our stories are very similar. I used humor a lot to get through my cancer experience, and sometimes it was, you know, off color. Um, you know, people didn't expect it. Um, I've had people, you know, their mouths have dropped at the things that I would say, but it was funny to me, um, and it helped mm-hmm. me. <laughs> um, and it just yeah. kind of, you know, it allowed people to um, – you know, because I feel like sometimes people dance around the topic because they are afraid of what they might say or, you know, they don't want to be offensive. They, you know, they, they're they trying to be sensitive and, you know, very mm-hmm. well-intentioned with everything. Um, but sometimes I would just, you know, I would say something and it just opened the door for them to be okay with talking about the icky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it it made people a little more comfortable, as crazy as it sounds, laughing at it. Like, I've gone to a few, um, we call it cancer camps, but it's like playing cards against humanity and getting the cancer card. It's always funny (laughs) when you're with a bunch of uh, fellow young adults who have kind of gone through it. Yes. Other people cringe, but we get (laughs) humor. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, I mean, sometimes you just, um, you don't know unless you've been within that circle and, you know, not that we want to invite anybody in the circle. Um, you know, but no. yeah, it's, it's one of those things where unless you've been there, you really don't understand, um, you know, all of it. Yeah. And people who don't understand have a hard time dealing with it or trying to. So when you make it comfortable for them to maybe ask questions or, listen to you when you talk or throw a little laugh or they're able to see you're high spirited. It allows you also to, to kind of spread your message a little bit more too. So maybe you've helped somebody else because they were able to understand and, yeah. and listen to what you had to say because you were comfortable with it. You made other people comfortable with the subject. Right. Yeah. And I love that. And, you know, it's, it's really opening the door for those conversations and we need to have more of them um, because we do definitely need people to understand that, you know, it does happen in 30 year olds. It happens in 20 year olds. And I've even heard of, you know, 13, 14, 16 year olds having breast cancer. So we can't, you know, close our mouths and, and not be okay with talking about, you know, the reality of it. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's becoming more and more in younger women. It is. It is. I am, yeah, the statistics keep increasing. And I know that, um, you know, I've I've heard over the course of time that, you know, just overall cancer stats have decreased. Uh, but the reality is, is that, you know, we are seeing more and more young women um, and even men who are being diagnosed with cancer. And yes. I, yeah. Yeah, so it's really unfortunate, but um, I love all that you're doing. I, you know, really love the fact that you are helping to, you know, be a part of the conversation. I mean, you are what I would still consider a very early, um, you know, survivor in all of this. I mean, it's only been, you know, just a little over three years for you, Um, you know, but I I love the fact that you're involved and you're, you know, kind of leading the way for those that will come behind you. Yeah, I really felt alone and secluded after um, when treatment was done and everything. And I started to look, my hair started to grow. Everyone's like, you look so great. And 
And I did, I, I did look good. That I never really looked sick through the whole thing aside from my hair, but mentally I didn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was, I went back to work right away and then I hated, I didn't know how to do my job. I had chemo brain. I, I just wanted my life to get back to the way it was before, but it, it was never going to be the same. And it, that, that hit me hard and I was able to reach out. There's a lot of programs at our hospital um, and see a therapist right away and kind of work through it. And what helped me was taking, being able to take my experience and help other women coming along. And I have some beautiful friends I've made along the way. It's always um, hard kind of getting into this world because we hope everyone gets to do, do three years, but sometimes it's not the reality. Right. Um, but it really, it really helped me um, kind of take this journey and throw myself into something that I knew a lot about because I didn't feel like I knew much about my past my past life anymore Mm -hmm. it allowed me to focus on the future of the new me and the new me knew a lot about breast cancer at a young age and the options that we had so yeah absolutely well and I um I agree I mean there's every single last word um that you said very much resonated with my heart because it's very much in line with my story too um you know so I just want to say thank you for coming on, um, for talking with me and sharing, um, you know, not only with me, but also with our listeners. Um, and I have no doubt that somebody else that's going to be listening to this is going to be able to say, me too, <laughs> me too. I feel that same way. Um, you know, yeah, and- like you said, it's not something we want people to be a part of, but it's really important for women to know they're not alone. Absolutely. 100%. So thank you again so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.